Love Life, featuring your hosts, Rebecca Detman and Jane Donovan. The sun shines bright as it moves across my face. I feel the light. I observe myself in the moment. Welcome to Love Life. I'm Rebecca Detman. And I'm Jane Donovan. We've waited a very long time to do this episode. 187 weeks, mm. to be precise. That's right. And maybe a few other decades and lifetimes as well. Um, it, it, would have, it would seem that addiction is a topic that perhaps we should have done back in the early days when we were covering off all the major emotional sorts of things. And we've held off on it um, because Jane asked me to. Jane said... <laughs> I'm not ready to talk about that yet because I did push it a couple of times. I said, we really should do addiction. Addiction's a very, very, very common condition of the human nature. Um, and Jane said, I'm not ready. I'm not ready. And if you are a member of our private love life group, which you should be because I have never seen such an active, supportive chatty community it's incredible spiritual too you know people are saying where's all my spiritual tribe they're there they're in there go make friends in there come and join the private facebook group who had a magnificent detailed discussion thread just the other day about addiction someone was asking for some tips about how to quit smoking um and everyone came in with some amazing amazing information um and i came back to jane and i said jane it's time to do a show on addiction Jane said, I'm ready. And she'll tell you why she's ready in a minute. Because she's figured out a missing piece of the puzzle, I think, that she's been searching for a very long time in her own journey. Um, Just to make it clear today, addiction, we are talking about absolutely every kind of addiction there's possible to have. Some people are addicted to their phone screens. You know, I'm not necessarily talking about gambling or smoking. We're talking about those things. We're talking about food. We're talking about porn. We're talking about any behaviour which becomes an obsessive replication, replicable behaviour, which anyone goes to consistently as some form of relief or distraction to get away from a deeper emotion. That's, that's what I would say addiction is. Jane, do you have a definition mm, of, of addiction? I don't. I really actually think I could probably write 10 books on addiction and still not have the answer. I know so much about it. I've spent, I have literally spent three decades studying it. What? Yep. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm serious. And this is the first time I've ever, ever spoken about it. Mm. And so I know so much and I know so little. I know so much that I know that what I know is not actually what I need to know. <laughs> I know. I'm taking you down the rabbit hole. But there'll be enough for the show, Jane. <laughs> oh, there'll be plenty for the show. Look, basically, so how can I describe addiction? It's anything that you're doing that you don't want to be doing. Good. That's, That's a really good summary, actually. That's it. And, and I don't care whether that's sitting on the couch or, or maybe you're running too much yes, or, or yes. maybe you are eating too healthy or not healthy enough or whatever, yeah. fill in the blank, I don't really care. Now, why have I been obsessed with addiction for 30 years? Because I have what, I don't even, I haven't actually researched this term, but it's a term that was used very much in the 80s. I have an addictive personality. So it means that some people are prone to addiction. So I... Over my lifetime, I've been addicted to smoking, alcohol, um, sugar, salt, grease, lack of exercise, too much exercise. I've been, I've had 
before Gamma. And I think I'm really super, super lucky that as a teenager or somebody in their early 20s that I really didn't ever try drugs. Now, I worked in the entertainment industry. Cocaine was like everywhere. I just didn't. And I'm so grateful I didn't because I think I would love it. Let alone something like heroin. I think that would be the best thing ever for a highly sensitive person that finds the world overwhelming and a really hard place to live. Now, on that, I just want to touch on the highly sensitive thing. I have not researched this. It's on my my long and ever-growing list of things to do. I want to do a study around highly sensitive people and addiction because I have an unproven theory that a lot of people that are HSP suffer from addiction. Because why? Okay, here's the missing piece that I found for me. So I'm not saying this is for everybody. And again, this is so brand new. This is like, what is it? Like, I reckon this is a month old in my observation. So it's so young and has had no other evidence to support it outside of my observation of myself. The missing piece, I feel, is connection with self and connection with others. And so when... A HSP is, or an empath, is constantly connected with everybody else. It's lacking the skills of having authentic connection versus not really your stuff connection. But at the same time, when a HSP is in shame around who they are, which most HSPs are, particularly prior to doing self-development work, you know, they will often say things like, you know, there's something wrong with me, um, I feel like I need to be fixed, I, um, I've been born this way, I don't know how to stop it. They feel deep shame at how much hard work they are to be around. So therefore they disconnect from self as well. Mm. And addiction is a beautiful, easy way of doing it. And the reality is addiction works. I don't care what it is, whether you're, you're bulimic, anorexic, whether you're... Um, a heroin addict, whether you are a smoking addict, an alcoholic, it doesn't matter. I don't care what it is. Addiction works. Meaning what? Meaning that it does the trick of it, whatever it is that you are needing to do, it does it. It shuts down or numbs it, sufficiently enough that yes. you can go for a very, very, very long time in a lifetime without ever dealing with the original pain. Exactly. Right. Yes. Jane, how, how young were you when you first found your addictive tendencies? Um. I don't think I really noticed it until smoking. I thought I was carefree and I, I thought I ruled the world, quite frankly, <laughs> and, mm. that, and that included ruling me, that I was in charge of me. And I think I was around, so I had my first cigarette when I was about 15 years old and I, I remember the moment it was that I chose to capitulate. I remember so consciously going, you know what, I just don't get you people. I don't understand. The world is so weird. People are weird. I give up. I'm going to be like them. And that was the action that I did. So that was the first conscious choice to not being authentic. And I got the most amazing reaction of, oh, look at her. She can do the drawback. Now, for people that have never smoked, it's when you actually inhale cigarette smoke into your lungs. So somebody that's taking their first cigarette will do what they call a bum suck, which means they put the smoke in their mouth and breathe it straight out without it going in their lungs. Crazy stuff. Think 1970s. For those of you in Australia, think the movie Puberty Blues. That's my story. And so what happened? Immediately, I got peer approval. 
So there started the support of what I had believed love was, which was love equals approval, which I have shared on other podcasts. So it becomes a very complex thing, a very complex thing. Um, And so I felt that at 15, I was still completely in control because I was making these choices. And I reckon I was around um, 22 or 23 when I thought, I don't think I want to smoke anymore. And I just thought I'd stop. And I got the shock of my life when I realised I couldn't. Wow. That was like, are you kidding me? And you are kidding me. Three decades later, yeah. it's taken you this long. Yes. I've stopped many times for shorter per- short periods, um, sometimes for longer periods. Like didn't smoke when I was pregnant. Isn't that interesting? The second that you think you're going to try and get pregnant, you just stop. You know, there's, it's, it's fascinating. The mind is so fascinating. Mind over matter. Oh, it's just, you know, people say, oh, when you're ready, you just stop. Um, I, I love people wanting to support in addiction, but I've got to say that nothing has pissed me off more in my 30 years of people's opinions around smoking and their judgment. And I think that people that are fat have the same issue going on. I've got so much to say around how people that don't have a particular addiction lack compassion and empathy. Who do they think they are? I actually got to a point where I would have a standard line where people would say, you should give that up, you know it's going to kill you. And it would be a stranger walking past you. You're hiding down a laneway. Please don't anybody see me. I'm sneaking a ciggy. And they'd still walk past and say something really rude. Wow. And, oh, yeah, you've got no idea how people treat you. And I reckon, well, I've had my my girlfriend... um, who uh, used to work in mainstream media, she did an exercise where she got made up as a very, very overweight person. So she had the big fat suit put on and she was made up to look very unattractive and they did the experiment of the car um, broken down with the the bonnet up and how nobody would stop to help her. Um, She'd walk into dress shops and uh, clothing shops and she was ignored. Now, this girl is naturally incredibly stunning and anywhere she walks she commands attention and so you know it's interesting there is and and people would look at her when she was in the fat suit and give her disgusting looks right they'd look her up and down and and with a feeling of like repulsion and I've seen it and it's it's appalling so for anybody that has judged anybody anywhere and I've had people that are very slender say they're tired of being judged as well. It, it, it's, I mean, look, let I'm it go. naturally Stop it. skinny because of my metabolism, because I'm a vata in the Ayurvedic tradition, and because I'm a, what's it called, an endoectomorph in the body type tradition, which just means I am tall and skinny. And I remember sitting in a university lecture tutorial, minding my own business, and the university lady leaned across to me in front of the room and said, you've had troubles with anorexia, haven't you? None of her business. Society's fascinating. Would you turn around and say to her, and you've had trouble with speaking your truth, haven't you? And the answer to that is... Kindly and compassionately. Never. I know. But but here's one of the things I think people need to get comfortable with with addiction. Well, that's rude, isn't it? They need to get comfortable with standing up for themselves. And they're right because nobody is perfect. So I wanted to get really comfortable with my right to smoke. Now, I didn't have the right to smoke around other people and cause secondhand smoke going into their environment. But I definitely had my right to do whatever I wanted to do, just like everybody listening to this podcast has the right to do whatever they choose to do in anything in life. 
but I also had to kind of stand up for myself. And I, I kind of had these lines of saying when people would say to me, you know, you're going to give that up. And they'd always say it in a really angry, derogative, real put down tone. It wasn't a gentle, loving, sweetheart, you are so beautiful. Please try and give that up. I'm really worried it's about your you. health. You yes. know, if somebody said it like that, it's like I'd probably burst into tears and go, I'm trying, mm. you know, but... It's when it's said so derogative, it's like, who gave that person permission to get out of bed and go around and abuse somebody? So I would turn around and say, I sincerely hope that you didn't mean that as rudely as it came out. And they'd look at you like a deer in a headlight. And I'd say, listen, I just want to share one thing with you. I wish I didn't smoke, but I want you to know that I wish everybody was kind too. That wasn't very kind. Oh, Jane. (laughs) Spreading the work anyway. But it's also like, you you know, stuff you, you don't get to go around and be rude because you're higher than. And all that is going on is that somebody's going, oh, well, in their head, they've got all the negative dialogue going on. I get it, you know, which is going, I'm not good enough, smart enough, rich enough, funny enough, whatever. Fill in the blank that's in their head. Oh, look, there's a smoker. Well, thank God I don't smoke. I get it. Mm. Oh, great. Well, let's put her down. I'm going to feel better. I get it. Oh, well, at least I'm not that fat. I get it. Or, oh, my God, at least I'm not that rude and don't talk on a mobile phone that loud in a restaurant. I get it. But we have to come back to compassion. If we really want to help people with their addictions, if you really want to support, you've got to come in with gentleness, kindness, compassion. And I've got to say, Beck blows me away. So when I first met Beck, I knew Beck as a power couple with her ex-husband, both of them incredibly healthy, fit intelligent, amazingly successful, and I'm thinking, uh, I have to come clean and tell her I'm smoking because I'm not doing a recording with her and I need to have a ciggy before and after. And Beck has never once made me feel anything except accepted. And Beck's very genuinely, in fact, sometimes she'd walk into my home and go, all right, we're going outside for our ciggy while she has a passive smoke. <laughs> Let's go and have our cigarette and our... And, our, and our, our little debrief of what the week's brought before we start recording. Now, I have a lot of um, people in my life who smoke and it's like... Well, any... that's interesting, isn't it? That well, might support my HSP theory. Maybe. Mm. Um, yeah, because of, uh, that's right. A lot of Obviously, a lot of my friends are psychic and spiritual and sensitive. Um, and I know at least three females and one male that I'm close to who smoke a lot. And, um, you know, it's interesting how we're just sort of talking at the moment about the, this part of the show here is for people who are around smokers, live with smokers or are partnered to smokers. Well, this is part of the solution is Correct. that you've got to have the acceptance of those that love you because otherwise it becomes a defiant act. That's right. It taps into another part of your brain. It, if you are a person who does not, and I, I know we're talking a lot about smoking here, but let's just remember we're going to... Well, that's also because we had the people in the Facebook we're, group. We're going to throw this open to a larger, just, just to say, any addiction. If you're with a person who is struggling with some form of unhealthy, self-abusing, self-punishing behaviour. It's not rocket science. They know what they're doing. They don't need to hear from you either advice, because you're not in their shoes, you don't know what it feels like, sympathy, because they don't want to feel like a victim or, you know, poor little old whatever. Um, They don't want to hear moral superiority. They don't need looks. They don't need body language from you. They just need you to see their soul as a pure, unconditionally loved, worthy, you know, essence that's worth being here. That's all you have to do if you are around someone with an addiction. You don't say anything ever, ever about anything that they're doing. 
because that's not going to help change or fix. I can 100% tell you this. All you need to do is just keep looking them in the eyes and loving their heart as hard as you possibly can because that's what the addict is trying to learn how to do is how to completely, as Jane touched on earlier, and we'll go back to this in a minute, love themselves at a very deep unconditional level and fill in that missing piece of the puzzle which is some way in which the soul has disconnected from the self or or, or the personality or the, the ego or the person has disconnected from their deeper soul is what's happened there and can I just say on that note it is almost exactly the same as the condition known as loneliness it's when you're not actually lonely it's that there's a part of yourself you haven't kind of married up with There's a part of yourself you're not owning. There's a part of yourself you're neglecting or ignoring. There's a part of yourself you're not spending time with. And and it's it's the same as a lot of conditions that are going around. So that's all I wanted to say about that. That's beautifully said and that's exactly what the person needs is the acceptance. And, you know, I have another friend who was telling me about her hairdresser who's a very, very large girl. And she was saying... um, Oh, it was just ridiculous. She was saying how she has to cut her hair on the chair because she finds it really hard to stand up uh, long enough to do my hair. And she said, but, you know, then she's having her third iced coffee or whatever. So I take it. I don't drink iced coffee, but I take it iced coffee must have a high fat content. And she was so judging this girl. And I said, why are you doing this? Why? Why does it matter? We really have lost our compassion Mm. and our empathy. And the only reason that we judge another is to make ourselves feel better. So please really look at that because the way that Beck supported me always has been so beautiful. There's not but one. You know what? Everyone's got stuff. There's not. Everyone's got stuff. And there's not one person out there who's picking up a cigarette or going into the pokies or picking up that extra pastry, the third pastry of the morning and they're eating or whatever, that doesn't already have enough self-flagellation, shame, self-punishment, embarrassment and guilt operating in their own exactly. bodies. Nobody's stupid here. Exactly. We don't need to add to that vibration. Yes. Now, the next thing that I really don't like, that, well, the thing that I found that worked really well for me was when things were in positive. So anything that was negative about addiction, so fear-based. So, for example, putting their, you know, horrible packaging. Here in Australia on cigarette packets, they put photos of like... Do you know what they did? They're horrible photos if you've seen them of, you know, aortas and toilets and baby fetuses and horrible things to try and put you off. The other thing that they did was they did market research on the colour that is considered to be the most unpleasant colour in the colour wheel and then they made the boxes in that colour, which is this bizarre kind of a swamp green which I've seen. Oh, isn't that funny? I saw it somewhere. Uh, they, they did a whole, a whole article about it, about the psychology of marketing. Right. How you use certain colours to get people over the line and other colours to, to make people stop and not want to touch something. Oh, that's interesting. <laughs> yeah. That is really interesting. Nothing stops an addict, though. But again, you know, all the, the ads on TV of, of um, you know, of, of anything that is around fear. So it, it, the same applies to... Um, gambling addiction, you know, that have an ad on TV that shows all the damage that's done to the family because the money is all gone. How does that help an, an, an addict to stop gambling? You think they don't know how much money they're spending on gambling? Do you think a smoker doesn't know what they're doing to their body? Do you think somebody that's eating unhealthy doesn't know that they're risking type 2 diabetes or whatever? Like the fear-based stuff has got to stop. And in fact, I think in years to come, they will be accountable and that advertising that is put fear-based in, once they understand the law of vibration, will actually be suable because they're actually putting that vibration in. What does work for me 
is anything that is positive. So I can remember for about the last 30 years saying, it would be really cool if I could just find a, pa- a pill. I just want to take one pill and I no longer smoke. That would be awesome. It's a bit like the Matrix, do I want to take the blue pill or the, or the red pill? Well, I came across a pill, didn't I? I found a doctor many years ago who actually does placebo pills and has amazing results. But the problem is I can't go and see him because I know he's doing that. So therefore, the placebo is not going to work. So I came across an ad on Facebook and I'm, I'm going to give you the details because, or you can email me and I'll send you the link. Oh, because what I've got this, I haven't actually got the name on it. That's crazy. Anyway, made from Australian. It's a Sten Lake product. No, that's a, that won't get you anywhere. No, that's... Um, you'll have to find the link That's, that's the chemist that just fills it, I think. Yeah, I'll find it. Um, anyway, it's made from Australian uh, native plants. And that, for me, went yay, bingo. I believe in Australian essences. Uh, I believe in, in natural, you know, medicine through um, plants. So that was exciting. Then I read a whole heap of comments. I did a lot of research around the comments of people saying, oh, they were heavy, like smoked a lot more than I did. And they were like, oh, I, I smoke, you know, pack a day, two packs a day and haven't smoked now for six months or whatever. So there was a lot of really good success stories that appeared to be real. And that's when I went, that's enough for me. I'm not going to research this. I don't care if there's chemicals in there. I don't, I don't want to find the negative. I'm just going to stop at this and I've bought in. Don't care if it's and a placebo, don't I care anything. I could not care less. I don't know. It could be. I really don't care. I had at that point bought in. So you've got to find when you find a positive program and you buy in, that's the point that you've actually got to go with it and stop researching, mm. stop talking. I also chose to not tell anybody this time, nobody. And now that I've told the whole world through this podcast, I'm actually saying I actually reserve the right to go out and have a cigarette anytime I wish. I'm actually not a smoker and I'm actually not a non-smoker. I'm observing myself in whichever current state I'm in. Yeah. So the whole I'll never do this again or whatever is setting ourselves up for failure. Refer back to when we've done the podcast on New Year's resolutions. Now, Jane, you have tried, as every person who's addicted usually has, many different things over the years. I think I've spent more on stopping smoking than I have on actually smoking. It's and I want to talk about two things here. I want to talk about what you've tried so we can tell people different modalities that are well, out I there. I learned from everything. Yes. So I believe they all work. But I also want to talk about how until you're really ready at an emotional, spiritual, vibrational point, nothing's going to work uh, because it's about the vibration that you're bringing, which is why, for whatever reason, these little native pills for Jane are the thing that got her there. Mm-hmm. Now, if you'd taken them 15 years ago, they wouldn't have worked because you weren't ready I wasn't ready, that's right. I, I have to tell you, smoking has taught me so much about me. So whatever addiction you've got, you will be learning so much about you. And I know that this was always going to be one of the last layers of my onion before I get to a whole new level of me. So... It's taught me much. Now, I've tried NLP, which is neuro-linguistic programming, and that was terrific. I highly recommend that. Um, it's very positive and, um, and it's not invasive. It doesn't, like, require you to have huge emotional trauma being released. So NLP was really good. I love the Alan Carr book and the Alan Carr method. So I did both the book. The book worked for me for a while. There's a lot of stuff in there that I have used this time around in my mind. So I highly encourage 
you clever people that love to really think about how the mind works, the Alan Carr book's fabulous. I also did his course, which was really good. Um, I did Inner Child. Uh, that was great. You know, all of these things. Hypnotherapy. I did hypnotherapy many times. I've done that with like three or four different hypnotherapists. Mm-hmm. Uh, each time, they, each of these sessions resulted in me learning and healing another part of me. Now, they didn't heal what I thought was the smoking part, but the reality was all of this was the smoking part, mm-hmm. all of it. Mm-hmm. In my blueprint of life, smoking was a thing to teach me a lot about me. So if I'd stopped 25 years ago, I don't think I'd be the evolved person I am now, as evolved as I am now. I believe the next layer I'm going to learn is a whole heap more again. So there are so many positives around addiction. Yeah. And that's what we need to celebrate. You need to get comfortable with it. I needed to be happy as a smoker because what was going on was I was either I was unhappy as a smoker or I was unhappy as a non-smoker. So therefore... I was unhappy the whole time because I was beating myself up about smoking. So I had to get happy as a smoker. So I actually wrote on my cigarettes, I love smoking. I did some great work with uh, both Katrina Huskus and also Nikki Huskus on um, Lifeline Technique. I did some really good stuff with uh, Dr. Zoe Love uh, with muscle testing and also, um, what's the sprays back? The homeopathics. Um, I did some work with um, the reconnection, Dr. Eric Pearl's method. That was terrific. Mm-hmm. Uh, I did forgiveness. Um, I did work around my parents. Both of my parents were smokers. You did past life regression. Uh, I did past life regression. Yes, I have done everything. And I'm actually forgetting some now. And so... I've done anything that would come people up. I've done list- patches. I've done gum. I've done... The only thing I have never done is Champex, which is a very strong drug that is prescribed by um, Western medicine doctors. And I, all the, the side effects are, um, affect you emotionally deeply. And I just thought, I can't take that. I can't work. Because I'm a HSP and an empath, that's how I do my work. So I knew I couldn't do that. So I just never went down that path. That's the only one I haven't tried. So I hope that helps. But, but all of those methods are not just restricted to smoking. Right, of course. Except right. for the patches Any and stuff addiction. like that. But, but, yeah. but what we want you to take away from hearing that is... There are many paths to Rome. There are many modalities and vehicles that can get anyone to a spiritual or emotional release point. Jane's done 15, 20, 25 different ones over the last 30 years, but not one of them were really able to help her consistently stop smoking. And the reason why is because what, Jane? Because I wasn't, I hadn't learned everything I needed to learn about myself. So what we're getting at here is when it comes to addiction, it is not about substances in or substances out or even therapies or it's it's not about all that external stuff. It's about something that's happening at a very, very, very deep level in your own emotional core, isn't it, Jane? That's right. Absolutely. So it's this idea that an addiction is like, it is. you could say a cry for help, but it's like a yearning. It's a hunger. You think it might be for the cigarette or the donut or the need to watch the porn or whatever is coming up, but it's a part of the body that is actually starving for a certain emotion or a certain vibration, which, yes, there can be millions of reasons from childhood, from life, from past lives, but if we just want to simplify it, 
It is just some deeper level of disconnect you're having with your own heart, with your own self. It's, it's, a, it's a black void. It's a black hole which you keep trying to fill which, which doesn't perfect. work, right? It just it's goes perfect. on and on and on and you keep trying to fill it and fill it and fill it and two packs a day is never enough or six blocks of chocolate is never enough or whatever the activity is is never enough because these sorts of black holes cannot be filled with something physical and external. The only way to do it is to figure out where you are not connecting into your own self and learn how to fill your own love tank. Now, I get that that's not easy. I get that it's like trying to see something, first of all, that's very, very hidden in the body. It's very hard to see your own stuff. And second of all, it's very hard to love yourself if in this lifetime either you've not seen it role modelled properly or you've never really felt it. How do you then get an emotion that you've never really known is the challenge in a lot of spiritual circles? And that's absolutely what I was searching for and could not find. What I did find was that I definitely believe that smoking completely supported me so well as an empath, somehow as an empath and an extrovert. What I didn't realise, I can't believe this, I'm actually an introvert. (laughs) Really, Jack? How bizarre (laughs) is that? I know, I know, it's incredibly weird. So what it was masking was my need for a quieter, a much quieter life, much quieter. And... When people see me next, they might just get a bit of a surprise that life has become very tiny and beautiful and gentle. It's very different, very, very different. And I never thought that's how I would be. Yeah. And I'm loving it. Yeah. So it's interesting. There's been a lot of research lately as well, which I want to touch on about, um, first of all, that they've really determined addiction. You know, talking about addictive tendencies or addiction runs in my family line or alcoholics breed more alcoholics and that sort of stuff. But they're really finding, and I'm sure Dr. Bruce Lipton would be all over this with all of his work on um, the new genetics and everything. It's not a gene. And it's not necessarily hereditary or a, or a brain disease or any of that stuff. It is actually a choice is what they're really, really finding. Now, there was a study that was done in the last 12 months. I read about it in the last 12 months. I have been trying to find this study and I can't. So I'm going to have to really... Just go off your just, memory. Just I'm try just, and give the, 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 the guts of what you remember the content about it. It was basically something to do with the fact that they took some people... It's a, a, Let me back up. You know how there's all these urban myths and these danger sort of statements in society? Like, if you have heroin once, you'll be addicted forever, so don't even touch it one time. Or they'll say, marijuana is a gateway drug, like that kind of stuff, right? Now, they took some people in to hospital. Now, I think, okay, from memory, something like this. It was back in the day before when they were still using drugs we consider class A drugs now or highly illegal drugs now, when they used to use drugs for painkillers. Like, you know, Coca-Cola used to have cocaine in it and stuff 100 years ago, right? Right. That's why it's called Coke, uh, which is amazing. I didn't know that. You used to be able to go to pharmacies and buy opiates and stuff, like opium and things that now are kind of banned and illegal used to be considered normal drug-type drug stores. That's why they're called drug stores. So so at one point they had some people in a hospital and they were administering basically what is heroin to these people for their medical condition, but they weren't – 
either calling it heroin or saying it. It's just that it was a similar chemical compound breakup to heroin. And they were, these people went, normal people with illness, went into hospital, received regular doses of heroin, they got past their illness, resolved their disease, whatever, checked out and went home and lived normal lives. So where's the addiction thing? If you have addiction once, none yes. of them are addicts. Yes. So that's really interesting. And that but I've heard that you, you don't get addicted to something. Well, it, it, the theory there is that um, if the body requires it. Right. Interesting. So we need to take a lot more self-responsibility, first of all, as well. If anyone out there is an addict and is doing the victim story thing of, well, my father was an alcoholic and my grandfather was an alcoholic and, you know, so I'm naturally addictive. Well, maybe you are naturally addictive. I would think that's more environment. That's emotional environment. And this is Bruce Lipton would say nature or nurture. He'd say, is it environmental? Is it genetic? And Bruce Lipton would say, it is environmental. Genes are switched on according to environments. That still means that you have a space to move in that with change, with regards to change and choice, right? So there's a lot more power in this than you might realise that you actually own, um, a, lot, a lot more power in what you're doing. What did you want to say about the charge? I wanted about what, what sorry, what would you call it? The the urge. The urge. I, there was something else that I, I wish I could remember who this was, but I, I randomly listened to podcasts that um, whatever comes up on my phone, actually I should try and find it, but there's over, I think I've got a couple of thousand on there. It might be hard to find, but I'll try and find it and get the link. But I was listening to a coach on her recording talking about, I think she was talking about um, how to reduce, how to drink less alcohol. And I remember thinking, I wonder if I can apply her method to smoking. And one of the things that she talked about was observing the urge. And I thought, well, that's like meditating, observing yourself meditating. And I thought, you know, when Beck teaches us about meditating and the thought comes in, you've got the random thought and you just acknowledge it and let it go. You don't buy into that thought and continue down the thought process. You just acknowledge that you've had the thought of, oh, I've got to do the dishes or must remember to do this today or make sure you ring that client. And then you go, oh, that's interesting. Let it go and go back to your your, your focus of of an, an empty mind. The same thing applies with the urge. So an urge to do something, which would be applicable, I would think, to just about every addiction, is only occurring because it's going to release dopamine. How do you say it? Dopamine. Dopamine. Rewards in the brain. Yeah, what's it called? Dopamine or dopamine? Dopamine. Feel good. Dopamine. Okay. So that's all that happens is that you've programmed your body that every time you have a cigarette or every time you hit the poker machine button or every time you have some sugar or whatever it is your thing is, every time you do that, dopamine's being released. So that's the withdrawal thing is that you're not getting your dopamine fix. So you've got to find other ways of getting that. And there's plenty of healthy ways of getting that released. But what I found interesting was that when the urge comes, so the urge is coming so you get your dopamine hit. It's not coming so you have a cigarette or it's not coming so you have sugar or it's not coming so you hit the poker machine button. Now, the urge apparently only lasts between a few seconds and like 20 seconds. I think anybody that's ever tried to give up something would tell you that an urge can last for like 24 hours and you might get a breather for five minutes and then it feels like it lasts for 24 hours again. But the reality is it isn't because what happens, the urge comes 
and you then buy in with, I want a cigarette, I want a cigarette, or I want a drink, or whatever it is that you're going for. And you keep on that, you buy into the thought. So it's the same as if you're trying to meditate and a thought comes up that says, you've got to ring that client today, don't forget to ring that client. And you then start fantasizing about the conversation you're going to have with the client and what time you're going to ring them and how are you going to service them and what problem are you solving? You've bought into that thought. So when you have the urge, if you buy into that urge, you're now going to have a dialogue with the urge. Now, instead, what you can do is observe the urge and go, that's interesting. Because we did a show called Making Friends with Fear. Fear and also with ego. It's the same thing. And I was just about to say that. Same process. This is the pattern. And I don't know if you've noticed, Beck, but our episodes over the last three or four months have all been about making fear with the negative. Making and that, uh, sorry, making friends with the negative, right. whatever the negative is. And it's this observation. It's observing ourselves. So you observe the urge and you neither, you don't give it a charge. You are neither accepting the urge by going and having a drink or a ciggy or whatever. And you are neither rejecting it by denying it. Which gives just, more power to so it. So much power. Yeah. So it's when you deny it that the ego comes in and says, don't do this. I know this is good for you. And so now we, you need to do this because this is we're going to give you dopamine. Go have it. You must have it. This is healthy for you. And your ego actually believes, deeply believes, it is caring for you with great love. And what you're doing, if you're starting to use... If, you, if you're lucky enough to have an addiction, you've got something to practice with because what we're actually talking about here are basic spiritual principles of how to navigate reality. Reality is a game. It's a bit like a computer game, like the Matrix with levels and ways to win. Winning means nirvana, enlightenment, happiness, eternal bliss. Here we are stuck down in the mud, in the darkness, in the physical 3D reality And if you want to get through the levels of the game and get up higher and get up where it's lighter and start to get out of the game, the only way to do that is to do the impossible as a human being. It's to not react. It's to not react to anything. Somebody says something, somebody does something, which is going to happen all day long. Humans bump up against each other like bumper cars or bumper boats is what we do. We live in a big melting pot together and we bump up against each other all day long long and if it's not a human annoying you it's a tree that's fallen down or it's a flash flood or it's a bloody hurricane that's knocked the roof off your house or it's something that's you've tripped over a banana peel on the floor and dented your knee and we want to react constantly to life and if you can begin to train yourself and this is yogi stuff here to just have a neutral charge on everything you start to win because the earth has less like reality has less of a control and a grip on you and you start to move into more consistently empowered states of togetherness, right? Now, if you have an addiction, you get to practice this in a really obvious way because as Jane says, you're going to have regular urges crossing your screen, crossing your your emotional spectrum all day long. Can I just interrupt and just say, if you think you haven't got an addiction, think about a habit that you don't like. Everyone's got a habit that they don't like. Think about a person. Think about anything that you think about too much that so, you know you shouldn't be thinking yeah, about. Yeah, anything that you want to change, you can get to yeah. use this with. Sorry, so that go on. Oh, so You're the, describing this so well. This is fabulous. So the urge appears, and like Jane just, just articulated, all you have to do is sit there. Just imagine it floating in front of you in time, energy, and space. Maybe you give it a name like 
um, silly Sarah or I don't know, maybe you imagine it to look like a symbol or a shape or an object. And so here comes the urge. It floats in front of you. You look at it and you say what Jane just said, that's interesting. You just say, I see you there. And then you move the mind to something else. This is mindfulness practice. Well, it was absolutely fascinating how quick those urges just disappeared. It, I was convinced that everybody else's urges might be, you know, a few seconds to 20. Mine were like hours long. But I was I, convinced of that. And they're not. They're not. Let's link this back into deeper spiritual practice again. So the idea is that any time you have any emotion deep down inside you that is gnawing at you, yearning at you, creating that black hole feeling in you, like there's something that's always there that you just don't want to think about, you want to push down and run off and distract and, you know, distract yourself... The minute you actually sit down quietly and turn your attention to whatever that feeling is and just look at it, it takes a hell of a lot of power and charge off it straight away, no matter what it is, addiction or non-addiction. We all have heavy, yucky feelings that we spend our lives running from and not dealing with, from the very small to the very big. And often we don't even know what they are. We just know I have a heavy feeling and I don't want to think about it. It's not necessarily, oh, I haven't forgiven my dad for that incident in 1984. It's not even that. It might be, I just know that my whole life I haven't fit in. It's a feeling that makes me feel uncomfortable. I'd rather not think about it. I'm going to play Pokemon Go. Well, it's interesting you bring that up because, and how cool is that game? I've got it. Oh, Candy Crush. Of course, I've got it. Um, I also found, this is another unproven theory, very new observation, addiction and connection to others. So intimacy, friendships with, with, with the people that you care about, the relationships, not friendships, relationships that you have in your life. And I've observed that the times that I have felt more addicted than ever to smoking, you know, like Beck, I'd say, I feel like I'm going backwards here. It's like, you know, it's the worst it is. Um, and, and it does go in waves. And that's always when you are closest to the breakthrough. However, at the same time, I've noticed a little pattern that it's also when there's change going on in my relationships. So, for example, the children, perhaps like I share all the time, parenting is one of the greatest roles I get to play in this planet in this lifetime. And yet, for me, I also find it bittersweet because as the children are exiting a particular stage in life and moving into another stage, that's when my addiction would possibly be at its worst because I was actually the most disconnected from them there because we were moving into a different energy circle or with my relationship changing with my husband, you know, for whatever reasons, whether it was from his career or my career or the family dynamics or whatever, financial pressures or financial abundance or whatever were the changes that's when the addiction was at its highest. Mm. Isn't and that interesting? I have that memory. It was not that long ago, um, maybe five or six months ago when Jane and I met up to do a recording and Jane was in tears and she said to me, my smoking right now is the worst it's ever been. And, and she was having a tantrum. She was saying, I'm so spiritual. I've done so much work. I'm so sick of this. I don't understand. And she was losing it all over the street. I was losing it. <laughs> and I said to you, I said to Jane, sometimes I see this in my practice as well in different ways with other people, but it's this older days about sometimes it has to get worse before it gets better. Sometimes when you're at the 11th hour, when you are so close to the finish line, the ego knows and the ego has a last massive freak out, massive freak out. 
Um, and people will go on a bender or a, you know, like a burger, like a big sort of toxic overdose almost um, because it goes back to what Jane and I talk about, the XY vibration. There's The X is the old stuff, the old you, the old patterns, the old addictions, the old urges. The Y is how much new momentum you've started to build in a very different vibrational positive direction. Mm. And the X is freaking out because it can sense the death knell is coming. It's like it's about to be killed off and it goes crazy in that last moment of tantruming and here we are, Jen, Jane's not smoking now. Yeah. So it's it's right. You're, you, and you I've know, got to say that so far, I was about to go touch wood, but I actually, I'm just going to say so far it's actually been the easiest and effortless. But coincidentally I've added these extra little bits of tools in such as the observing of the um, urge but also ripping off another layer of authenticity what do I really want in life what is it that that and getting even more real about that Mm. we've had a lot of change in our family dynamics over the past um, six months just with the children moving into different stages of their lives and requirements and changes with my husband's um, lifestyle, et cetera. And so I've got, as I've got more comfortable with that, I've therefore gained a deeper connection with, with each of them. Therefore, the urge, the, the, the need to protect is not there. Now, I'm not saying that's all the answers, but I'm certainly saying that they are the tips that I can share around addiction and smoking and my journey What I will say is if you bump into me one day and I'm hiding down a laneway having a ciggy, come over and congratulate me because I'm actually just about to learn something new again. Oh, Jane, that's absolutely beautiful. There's one more thing I want to add which just um, popped into my head of something else I see in clients who have really unhealthy um, behaviours that they can't stop doing. Sometimes the soul is punishing itself. And I know that you can with this. Absolutely, so without a doubt. So some, I'm not saying this is across the so board. So this is about worthiness. This is not the reason for everyone's addiction. But with some people I see, particularly who do things against their body, so I'm talking about body-based um, deprivations or toxicities, at a deeper level the soul does not believe that it's worthy of being here or the soul believes that it's done something completely unforgivable at some point in its journey past lives or this life and it now must take on the responsibility to punish itself it's like it's taking almost god into its hands or law and order divine karma into its hands and and it's saying i did such a terrible thing and i can't move past that i forgive myself so i will now continue to torture and punish and abuse myself well that was partly me I had that. That was one of the healings I had. I didn't mention Rebecca Brown. Yes. And I had to have um, a, a very a couple of very horrendous past lives. And as a result of those past lives, I had written a soul contract that needed reversing or it needed renegotiating, I should say. And so I, we had to get Rebecca Brown to talk to upstairs management and get things changed. Yeah. Um, the other thing that I wanted to just add here, I'm going a little bit random, but I know we are so running out of time and I just want to get my last few little things in. I always, uh, every night as I've shared on other podcasts, I always have a chat with my team from upstairs and, and I set my intent for sleep. Um, I funnily enough have not done that. I've actually forgotten to do that over the last, um, few weeks, but they've taken charge anyway. And I've had quite a few evenings Uh, mornings where I've woken up 
having had a dream where I've smoked in the dream. But I was actually somebody that had given up and that played out the whole story of how I justified my need to have another cigarette. But what came after that cigarette was the feeling of, oh, no, you've been here before and you've done it again. So I woke up with the feeling of what that felt like, that disappointment in myself, that shame, that sadness. And that gave me the confidence to propel for another 24 hours. Which is very cool. So you've got some pretty cool team around you that can be managing all sorts of things to support you. So without actually slipping up, so to call it, and actually reaching for a real fag and having a smoke and then feeling let down, you've only done it in the dream state. Yeah. So it wasn't, you haven't um, failed down here in terms of the uh, the mission, um, but you, yeah, you're still being given the chance to... I'm to, smoking to keep, at night time in my dreams. <laughs> you're still... <laughs> clearly being given the contrast of the choice of the chance to keep choosing is what yes. I'm trying to say. You, you are, so you wake up every morning and you're saying, phew, glad that was just a dream. I now consciously choose for the next 24 hours to give it another good go in not needing to do that That's because right. I don't want that let down feeling. That's right. Very exactly. Awesome, awesome. It's so, so cool, isn't it? I also just want to say that what Beck and I have shared is just about my journey and, and it's not about everybody's journey. Everybody is different. But there's a lot to learn from addiction. And I'd love it because there's a group on our private Facebook group. There's a group of people that have been very open sharing about their journey of having given up smoking and somebody that's wanting to give up smoking. And I just thought how beautiful and bold of these people to to share. I've got this issue that is such a judged one in society. And so if you want to share your stories, whether it's support or whether you need support, jump into that group because what a beautiful nurturing arena it is. I observe myself in the moment. Thank you for staying with us for this extra long but necessary extended show on such a very important topic for our society. Um, Look, if you liked the show, then you can buy Jane and I a cup of coffee. <laughs> and you can do that on our website, lovelifeshow.com, or a sandwich or a three-course meal or a, a lobster and caviar if you eat well. It, it, it helps the cost. We actually have quite, you know, there's production costs in producing this show, and we're very grateful when people can chip in and help us with the cost of running everything that we run around Love Life. And we are getting close to our 200th show which is very huge and exciting for us. So we have to do something huge and exciting. So what we're going to be doing, if you don't know this already, is we're going to be doing our show live and we're going to be doing our show at the Gold Coast. So we invite everybody who wants to be there. You can fly, you can train, you can walk, you can ride a bike, you can take a jet pack, you can go on your private jet. Just come on the 24th of September to the Gold Coast Arts Centre. We are going to be on stage for well over a couple of hours with signings afterwards, talking to you guys live, probably some live Q&As and stuff on stage as well. We'll be interactive. It'll be Jane giving a speech. It'll be me giving a talk. We'll be doing stuff together, Love Life show style. It's going to be amazing. If you want to know more about that, you actually... um, well, you can jump on our Facebook page or on our website and we'll have the details um, or you can go direct to the Gold Coast Art Centre who are handling all of our ticket sales. So get in early if you want the early bird ticket prices. And until this time next week, have fun and have a good spiritual go, not reacting to life, recognising your urges, making friends with them and giving yourself an enormous amount of self-love and appreciation. Life is perfect, I'm not trying, it's just happening.
It's a beautiful day.